without further ado, James chapter 1. Um, for those of you that are visiting, I've been doing started a series called Dazzling Christianity, and we're looking at the book of James. We are around verse 12, and uh, James for me is an incredibly challenging book, and I feel it's a word for the church in the UK. I feel like God is calling and wooing his people back to a primary relationship with him. Uh, you can say God wants to bring revival to his church. It's another way of saying it. And, and these, these key things that James talks about um, are part of that invitation to a scattered and discouraged church on behalf of this great apostle, James, and uh, one of the early church fathers. And he's, he's encouraging the church back into a primary relationship with Jesus. And we've been having a look over the last six weeks or so and some of the key thoughts in the first chapter. And some of them are joy under trials and suffering, uh, wisdom from heaven, undoubting faith. We had a look at last week about how James looks at poverty and wealth and what he has to say about poverty and wealth and how we to treat our attitude towards riches and our attitude towards poverty and uh, that brilliant, brilliant thing that Paul says, I've learned to abound whether in much or whether in little, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amazing, amazing truth in the scripture. And so this morning, the title of my, my message is Going for Gold. I thought it would be a good title with the uh, Olympic Games just around the corner. Going for Gold. And if you'd read with me, please, in the first chapter of James, verse 12, which simply says, <clears throat> Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God promised to those who love him. And we're going to have a look at this verse this morning. And really, this is very good news, because this is... James has now arrived at the point where he's kind of summarizing those first 10 verses, and he's now come to the point of saying, this is what the result is of enduring trials with joy, of learning to be a dazzling Christian that lives your life in a different way, that so when trials come, you don't wilt under them, but there's something of the joy of the Holy Spirit in you that enables you to persevere through trials. And then he says, this is the result of that. He says, you receive the crown of life. Man, that's good news. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I want to use the image of a gold medal because it, perhaps it's a little bit more understandable for us. And uh, we'll look at the image of the crown. But that's what he's really saying. He's saying you compete as an athlete, you persevere, and once you've done that, you receive the gold medal. You get the reward. And I want to say to you this morning that he says you get the reward in this life, not only in heaven one day, but you get the reward in this life for persevering. And that's the great joy of the Christian faith. And this idea of persevering and uh, under trials is unique to the Christian faith. It is unique, and uh, it's something that you, you, you might not be, uh, think of it like this, but even the most brilliant minds in the world, the most successful pe people, this crown can elude even the most successful people. Uh, it's, but it's available to every Christian. Isn't that good news? And so I want to look at a couple of Greek words because they are so, uh, the Greek is always so um, rich in the way that it describes very simple things. And I'm going to look at a, key, a number of key phrases. I've got three points with a uh, couple of comments 
And that's it, all right? So three points this morning. The first phrase I want to look at is this little phrase, he who remains steadfast under trial. And the Greek there is very interesting because the word trial comes from a Greek word, periasmos, which means one of two things. It means that you endure difficult situations. That's a trial. It can also be translated as enduring temptation, temptation of the flesh. And so when James is is using it here, he's using it in both of those ways simultaneously. He's talking about those things that we have to face in our lives that are difficult. And he's talking about the constant thing that we face as Christians, and that's temptation all the time. Trials end They have a beginning and an end. Temptation will be with us until Jesus comes to take us home. All right? And we have to learn to face both of those things in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what James is trying to encourage us into. Both of those things. Learning to handle trials and learning to to handle temptation. And he says, if we learn to manage that well in our lives, we will receive the crown of life. Man, that's encouraging. The crown of life here on earth. And I believe this. If you are facing a trial... Remember this, that every trial, every and I don't even understand what I'm saying right now fully when I say this. Everything that happens to you, every trial, every difficult circumstance is filtered in your life through the throne of grace and under the sovereign hand of God. I believe that with all of my heart. That's what the gospel says. Remember that if you're under, undergoing trials right now. If you are in a place of temptation in the area of your life, I want to encourage you, resist and stand firm. <laughs> That's what we're going to look at this morning. So the first thing I want to look at is our reaction and how we respond to trial and temptation. And this is the crucial point that James is making. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Who remains steadfast. Steadfast, that that uh, word steadfast is translated from hypomenai, which is another Greek word, which is a fascinating word because it means simply this. It's not a word that is, um, is necessarily associated with temptation or trial. It is a word that describes how people react. Hypomenai means this. It, it means to remain after everyone else has left the building. That's what it means. It means to remain after everyone else has left. Habamena. He says, blessed is that kind of person. Happy is that kind of man who can so stand. When anyone else, everyone else has left the building, you remain. That's what he's talking about. So how do people normally react? Well, if you're anything like me, when you're stuck on the M25, you get frustrated. That's a normal reaction. When you... Uh, Get cut across the traffic, you honk your hooter or horn, whatever you call it in England. I can't, that, what is it called? Hooter, horn? That's how normal people react. It's a normal reaction, right? James is saying, when it comes to temptation and trials, normal people give up and give in to that temptation or trial. And he's saying, happy is the man or woman. Happy is the man that does not give in but it's still in the room when everyone else is left. That's what he's saying. Happy is that kind of man. Blessed is that kind of man. And he's, he's, he's coming to the heart of essentially what makes a Christian different from, from everybody else. That's what separates Christians from pagans. Christians are exceptional. This is exceptional Christianity. This is dazzling Christianity. This is the point of what I'm trying to say in this whole series 
When, when, when trials come, normal people get their heads down, they get bitter, they complain, they say, woe is me, why am I the one undergoing this trial? That's what normal people do. James is encouraging us, he's imploring us, he's saying, live by the life of the Spirit, let God so do a work in you that you are radically transformed from the inside out, that when these things happen to you, you are not like everybody else, you are the exception. That's what he's saying. Don't become disgruntled. Don't become introverted. Don't become discouraged. Count it all joy. This is supernatural Christianity. This is dazzling Christianity, to count it all joy when you are confronted by trials. And so when temptations come, what do normal people do? Well, they give in and they give way. And so in areas of sexual purity, they just give in because everybody else gives in. Why shouldn't I sleep with my girlfriend when, I'm not, when we're not married? Everyone else does it. This is, not, this is not, I want to say to you, that is abnormal Christianity. That is not normal Christianity. Normal Christianity under the power of the Holy Spirit, radical Christianity resists that and says, I'll choose not to be like everybody else because of the power of the Holy Spirit within me. This is good news. Uh, sorry if I'm a little bit passionate this morning, but I feel very strongly about these things. The whole of Christ, the Christian faith is a radical demonstration to the world that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians are the exception to the rule. Is this legalism? No, this is freedom. This is the power of the Holy Spirit radically transforming us from the inside out. I've been reflecting this week in my own uh, devotions and mindset uh, on the book of Colossians. And Colossians chapter 3 has an amazing portion where it just talks about how Christians should live. And it, it just is amazing. When you look at that list, it is impossible. It is absolutely impossible to live like that. Absolutely. You go read Colossians chapter 3. When you've done this, you add that. When you've added that, you stand. Once you've done that, you add this. You add, it is absolutely impossible. The Christian life is absolutely impossible. If that's where you start, at Colossians chapter 3. What's very easy to skip over is a little verse in Colossians 1, verse 27, which says, this is the mystery that was hidden from ages past and has now been revealed to us, and this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, man. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is the, that is the, the way we live. It's no longer I that lives, says Paul, but it's Christ in me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in me. It's His life radically at work in me that enables me to do anything. Man, when you're living like that, that is freedom. Amen. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I put it to you this morning, that's the way that Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to be exceptional. He wants us to be dazzling, not in an arrogant kind of way, but just that our lives are a testimony of the power of the grace of God. That is a radical difference in terms of the world in which we live. That our lifestyles are radically different simply because we are living by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, you know, Matthew chapter 14, there's a wonderful story. You know it well. Probably learned it in Sunday school. It's late in the evening. Jesus has been with a whole bunch of people for the whole day. It's late in the evening, and uh, they're in a, in a desolate place, and they are hungry. And the disciples say to, to Jesus, send the people away and go, so they can go get something to eat. Let them fend for themselves. 
Go and let them get something to eat. And Jesus says an exceptional thing. He says, don't send them away. <laughs> let them stay. And the crux of the thing is, well, how are they going to be fed? And like the disciples are asking that question, how are they going to be fed? And Jesus says another exceptional thing. He says, you feed them. I've got a blessing for you. I want to show you. You feed them. And you know the story well. And it comes to the point where they say, well, well we haven't got anything. And he says, are you sure you haven't got anything? They say, yeah, we've got five loaves and two fish. And he says, okay, well, watch the provision of God for 5,000 men and women. And in fact, the scripture says they all ate and were satisfied. They took up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. What is my point? My point is simply this. When everyone else leaves and you feel like you're the only one left standing and Jesus says stay, you stay because he's got an incredible blessing for you. When everyone else leaves, when everyone else behaves just like normal people, you stand under the power of the Holy Spirit, because God has incredible provision and blessing for you. Amen? Happy are those who are steadfast under trial. And the great example to us, the great encouragement to us is Jesus. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He suffered for the joy set before him. That's what we read there. Uh, 1 Peter two twenty one says this. But when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in turn. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued trusting himself to him who judges justly. Continued living, continued giving himself to his Father. So my friends, this morning, I want to continue to encourage you. I know the last two, three years for many people with the recession and with a whole lot of things have been challenging times for everybody in this, in this building. I want to encourage you, whatever your trial is, whatever the difficult circumstance you've had to walk through, I want to encourage you to dignify that trial with joy. Allow God to do something in you. God will never allow you to bear something more than you can. That's his promise to you. And you might say, and that is absolutely impossible. I can't take any more. Well, I want to tell you that's true in your own flesh. It is impossible. But Christ in you is the hope of glory. And that's the good news. That is the gospel. The second little thing I'd like to pull out of this portion, I want to address the men. <laughs> James encourages us to become men. And I want to put it to you as a man that your reaction to trial and temptation in your own life reveals whether you are a man or not. And I want to say, how do we view manhood? Whoopsie. How do we measure manhood? You know, the world measures manhood in a number of ways. If you're very good at sport, and we had a wonderful... Uh, talk yesterday with Kerbis, just talking something about his life as a sportsman, an international sportsman. That's one way you can measure your manhood. You know, if you're really good at sport, you run marathon, you're kind of physically strong, that's a measure of manhood. Maybe you think manhood is measured uh, in terms of your success in business or whatever it is. Well, it's very interesting to me that James doesn't measure manhood like that at all. 
when he's encouraging us. He says this, Blessed is the man, the man who remains steadfast under trial. And here the Greek is vital to understand what he's saying. Because what he's saying is this, the word for man is ana, A-N-E-R, ana. And it's not a word that describes the fact that men are women from uh, men are different from women sexually. It's not talking about that. It's saying it's a it's a word that is describing childhood as opposed to adulthood. It's the same word that Paul writes and uses in one Corinthians thirteen and eleven when he says, "When I was like a child, I spoke like a child." I behaved like a child. I reasoned like a child. But now that I am a man, Anna, A-N-E-R, I have put aside childish things. Let me put it to you guys as bluntly as this. And I'm going to be a little bit hard on the men this morning. As bluntly as this, James is saying that the trial that God has for you as a man in your life will show whether you're a man or a boy. That's what he's saying. It separates the men from the boys. Now, I'm not saying this in a condescending way. When I was preparing, it's very interesting, my computer has this automatic program, and it always tries to correct your grammar, right? So when I wrote that phrase, separates the men from the boys, immediately a little thing came up and said, don't use that phrase. It's uh, gender-specific. Use a phrase like, wheat separated from chaff, or sheep separated from goats. And I just said, no! No! It's missing the point. The point is, it's separating the men from the boys. That's the point. That's really what he's saying in a very blunt way. He's saying it's your ability to run marathon, your ability to run a successful business, all that stuff. It's got nothing to do with masculinity. What he's saying is, what's, what is a, uh, uh, reveals your masculinity and your, your manhood is how you persevere when things are tough. That's what he's saying. And so I want to put it to you this morning that the way that you discern a spiritual man, a truly spiritual man, a strong spiritual man, is how he reacts when the heat is on, how he reacts when he's under the cosh, how he reacts when he's in the middle of the trial, in the middle of the test. What do you see? Now, you might say this to me, and don't be judgmental. I want to say this to you. The, the, the Bible says to us, as, says we are not to judge the world as the church, but we are to make judgments in the church so we can encourage each other into the fullness of our maturity in Christ. That's what it does say. I'm not really interested in people outside of the church, but I am interested in people, I am interested in people outside of the church. I want them to be saved. But inside of the church, I am really interested in how people see themselves and behave. And I'm very interested, actually, because we are supposed to be encouraging each other into the fullness of maturity that we have in Jesus. And so, guys, I want to say this to you. There's a tendency in the world to encourage men to remain juvenile all their life and never to grow up. And so men are content to play video games in their 30s and 40s, in all the hours, after all of the hours of the night, playing video games. Never wanting to grow up. Just play video games. Oh. Guys, growing up is not a pleasant process. It's not an easy process. I haven't found it pleasant and easy growing up. We haven't got an option. <laughs> we don't have an option. We are net, we are not, we have never, God never intended us as men to remain babies in Christ forever. He intended us to grow up. And this is the biblical teaching. 
It's encouraging us all into manhood. It's encouraging us all. And ladies, um, I, I trust you apply this in terms of your own life as well. But this specifically here, this portion is talking in terms of men. Taking your manhood upon you. This is the biblical teaching. If you read, you read the Old Testament, not all the kings, the priests, and the prophets, they were not all good people. Some of them were wicked, actually. If you read the book of Judges, <laughs> some of them were just wanting to remain in their wickedness. Not all of them were like Aaron, Elijah, or David. David was the exception. He was the exceptional king. I want to ask you a question this morning, guys. Are we going to be those that are comfortable just to be in the mediocre majority for the rest of our lives? Never actually growing up, never taking full responsibility, playing video games for the rest of our lives in respectable, backslidden contentment. Or are we going to grow up and become men? I realize this might not be a popular message, but I'm going to preach it anyway. Are we going to be those that wimp out at the first sign of difficulty? How come sometimes in people's families, when the crunch is really on, the man is the one who collapses in a heap, and the wife has to be strong? What is that? Just a thought. I want to put it to you that most of the Christian church is still worldly, still double-minded, vacillates between all sorts of different things. Most people just give in to sexual temptation just because everyone else does. Big chunk of the church, guys, let it not. Porno. I've led a church long enough to know that it's there all the time. Guys, are you going to remain in that place for the rest of your life or are you going to let the power of the Holy Spirit transform you from the inside out? Well, maybe after that you feel like, well, I failed. As you look at your life, well, I, as I was preparing this, I had to reckon there's some areas in my life I've, I've failed miserably. I want to just encourage you with this, though. The important thing is how do you respond to your failure? The important thing is do you try and lay the blame at someone else's door? Or you let the sword go through your own heart and just say, Lord, I'm guilty. Help me by the power of your Holy Spirit. Um, perhaps you feel a bit like Peter. And I, I love Peter as a person because, because he's so um, responsive. He goes out and when he realizes something is amiss in his life, what does the scripture say? It says he goes out and he weeps bitterly. He weeps bitterly. And I want to say there's hope for every single person, every single Christian who is ashamed when they realize they're not the person that God wants them to be. There's hope in that. Why? Because it shows a soft heart. It shows a broken heart. It shows there's still the sense of the Holy Spirit working and transforming. So if you feel broken in that sense this morning, I want to encourage you, don't let it just stay there. Allow God to move you into the fullness of repentance. And just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. And get on and live your life. By the power of the Holy Spirit, transforming you from the inside out. Amen? That's what John, 1 John 1 9 says. Precious promise. Amazing promise to us. It says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Put away childish things, guys. Come on. I want to encourage you. I like video games. I do. But come on. Huh? Can't keep on playing video games till your 40s. Take responsibility. Let's go for it. Let's, let, let this church be transformed. Radically masculine men.
The wives should say amen. amen. Two little comments before I go on to my final point, which is to talk about the crown of life that we can enjoy. I just want to make sure that we are rooted in this thing, that James also makes quite clear that the trial will end. The trial will end. And I want to just encourage you with this, that Jesus wants to tell you that the trial will end. You know who doesn't want you to understand that the trial will end? The devil. The devil wants you to keep on thinking that the trial is going to go on and on and on and on forever. Because when you think the trial is going to go on and on and on forever, you want to give up. Then you think the only option is to give up. No, we're going for gold. We're going for the gold medal, remember? And the Greek actually makes it very clear that the trial will end. And none of the English translations really do that. Because, and tomorrow you'll have to check my Greek pronunciation again, all right? But the Greek word is genominos. For this phrase, he who stood the test, genominos, it comes from genomia, which has to do with something being born or created or coming into life. That's what the Greek is saying. And so what James is saying is using that in an inverted way. He's actually saying the trial in your life gives birth to its own end. In other words, it has a beginning and it has an end. It's not going to last forever. And that should be a great encouragement to you. That actually God says he'll allow trials, but they will end. And so don't let the devil fool you and think that what you're going under, uh, in the, the trial that you're experiencing is going to go on forever. It will not. And when you're in the middle of it, when, you, when, you, when the heat is on and there's uncertainty, the devil wants you to believe that it's going to continue forever. I want to assure you this morning, by the truth of the Word of God, that the Word of God says it will end. Okay? Another little comment. Remember I said faith is the mirror of our hearts a couple of weeks ago? Well, trials are also kind of like a mirror in our lives because... Every trial shows us something of how we are doing in terms of our relationship with God, where we're really at. And sometimes when we have a look, we kind of have to admit, "Mm, it's not so good, (laughs) but that's okay. Not perfectionism. Jesus is perfect. He's the perfect one. We just get on and live by the Spirit, and He transforms us. And the greater the test that you're undergoing in your life, the greater the compliment that God is paying to you and saying, well done, you are ready for this test. Now, I haven't wanted to hear that because there's some things that I've been processing in my own life which I've just been saying, God, this thing, really, why? And it's like God said to me, well, you're ready for that. And that's a good thing. We don't want to be going round and round the same mountain. I want to say this. If you, f- you feel like you're experiencing the same trial that you had a couple of years ago, I want to say it's the grace of God extended to your life that you can come through and you can, you can experience His grace and overcome that thing in your life so that you can move on in Him. Perhaps we undergo the same trial because we murmur and complain and we never really learn the lesson. And so God brings us back and says, Okay, my son, I love you so much that I'm going to let you go through this again, this time. Don't complain. Don't murmur. Don't tell anyone your problems. Just let the life of Christ transform you. And so that brings me to the thing of the great reward, the crown, the gold medal. And this is the glorious, glorious, glorious truth that James is pointing us to at this point. He's saying, when you've endured with dignity, when you have endured with joy, when you have allowed the Spirit to transform you into a new thing uh, through a trial, 
you receive the crown. You receive the gold medal. And the vital thing I just want to say to you this morning is James is just not talking about a future glory. He's talking about a present glory. He's talking about a present reality in your life and in my life right now. It's both. There are scriptures that talk about us receiving the crown in heaven one day, and I want to give you three. Revelation 2 verse 10. Be faithful unto death, and you will re- I will give you the crown of life. Jesus has promised to his church. Be faithful to the, unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Or 1 Peter 5 verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. Amen? And thirdly, 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. The scripture is full of encouraging us that actually, in the end, we will receive a crown. We will go to be with Jesus and we will receive that full crown of glory. This is a wonderful thing to look forward to. But James is not contradicting that in any way. He's saying that is true for the future, but you can also experience a crown of life right now. And the Bible, always, the Bible speaks generally about the crown in two ways. One, the wreath for an athlete who competes well. And secondly, the wreath for an emperor that returns victorious from a battle campaign. That's basically how the Bible uses this image of a wreath. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 25, he says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline myself, my body, and keep it under control so that I, lest after preaching to others, I myself should not be disqualified. And the context there is of a game. You exercise self-control in the playing of the game so that you're not disqualified for the, from, from receiving the crown. And he, Paul reiterates that in 2 Timothy where he says in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Yeah? That's what James is talking about. That's what he's meaning when he's talking about the crown of life. It's something that we can experience right now. And I want to put it to you this way. It's the only way I was thinking, well, how can I describe what the crown of life means now? It's this simple thing. It's the moment after the trial has passed, when you know you have passed the test, and you feel the smile of God upon you. You feel him put his hand in your hair, or scratch your bald head, and just say, my son, in you, I'm well pleased, well done. You feel a tangible pleasure of God upon your life. It's like God notifies you. You know, I've always used this phrase, you know in your Noah. You know in your Noah that God has made a heavenly deposit in your storehouse in heaven. That you've sought out some treasure for yourself in heaven. And you just know that's the crown. That's the gold medal. That's what I'm talking about. It's that deep, deep assurance that you know you've passed the test uncomplainingly. And I want to say to you, there's no greater joy that you know when you've been through a difficult time, you've come through that trial successfully. I'm not just talking about a general relief that it's over. I'm talking about a deep-rooted joy that is there. I'm talking about a peace that surpasses all understanding. That's the crown. That's the medal. It's the knowledge. It's the happy knowledge that you've endured gracefully. It's secondly, it's the witness of God's Spirit within you. That's what Peter says, 1 Peter 5 verse 10. 
says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace. Lovely, eh? God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory, will himself restore you, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Isn't that beautiful? God promises that for us. We had a prophetic word over this church that Satan had asked to sift the church. Remember? Helen brought it. I was so mad with her that she brought that word. <laughs> we had many conversations in our bedroom. Why did you bring that prophetic word? But it's true. And God has sifted and he's shaken and he's stirred and people have been disorientated and a whole lot of stuff has happened. But you know what the amazing thing is? This portion I'm reading to you is the promise of God at the end of all that. He says, I will restore you. I myself will restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. Beautiful. And God gives us grace for fresh trials. Corbus, I wish we had recorded his message yesterday, but we didn't. The rhythm of our lives is that there's going to be one trial after the next. <laughs> That's the rhythm of life. That's what God allows. I don't know why. He has his plan for our lives, and he perfects us through these things. So I do know why. But anyway, when you pass one trial, you get promoted, and God says, my son, I've got some other trials for you, and uh, I want to bless you with that. And he gives us grace. <laughs> he does. It's like we pass from the little league. It's like, what is the Ryman's conference, right? And then you get the championship, or you get league two, and you get league one, and then you get the championship, and eventually you end up in the Premier League. That's what God is saying. That's the promotion that comes when you overcome one trial. He says, well done, I'm giving you grace for another. Now you're going from this league to the next one. I want to suggest to you that it's part of becoming men and women. It's part of what John means when he says in Revelation 1 verse 9, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and in the kingdom and in the patient endurance that is in Jesus. <laughs> John knew what we were talking about. And I'm saying that's what we get promoted into, where we start to realize together with every great hero of the faith that has ever lived on the face of the planet, when we persevere well under trials, we start to join in that great stronghold of mature believers. That's what I'm talking about. And that's what Paul says in Colossians 1.12, where he says, God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's the inheritance, the part of the inheritance that we enjoy as believers. The last comment I want to make is this. That little phrase also comments on our state of mind. Happy are those. <laughs> James is saying, I want you to have a happy state of mind. When I was uh, studying music, Billy Joel was at his heart and he had that song called The New York State of Mind. Do you remember the song? I got a New York State of Mind. No, you don't. Okay, fine. But anyway, <laughs> James wants us to have a happy state of mind. A happy state of mind. This is the fascinating thing. The word makarios is the word for happy. For blessed. You know where else it's used? In the Beatitudes. Happy are those. Blessed are those. Makarios. M-A-K-A-R-O-S. Simply means happy. It's not talking about just having a smile on your face. It's talking about a transcendent happiness of a life beyond care. Happy 
are those who persevere, are steadfast under trials. You have, you have that transcendent happiness in your life that no one can take away from you because it comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, the life-transforming Spirit of Christ within you. It's a kind of happiness that you know because you've been anointed with wisdom from heaven. That's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. I want to finish with this. One day in heaven, we will be crowned with the full wisdom that comes from God, and we will go and be with Jesus, and you and I can ask all the questions that we've ever doubted and haven't done the answer to, and we will receive full wisdom one day in heaven. In the meantime, here on earth, right now, you and I, the promise of James to us is that God gives special wisdom to us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we will submit to the process of God in our lives, that enables us to see things that other people just can't see and to live in a way that other people simply can't live because it's not by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the great joy. This is what I'm trying to communicate this morning. You know, even Jesus had those moments. Even Jesus had those moments. Remember when the Father comes down and the Holy Spirit alights on him as, as a dove, and what does he say? The voice from heaven says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had those moments. And we're going to be with him. What a glorious day. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. And we will receive the ultimate crown. But I want to encourage you, until that time, you live your life persevering, steadfast, under trial, saying no to temptation, saying, God, I choose to be different by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your Spirit working in me, transforming me from the inside out. And when we go to be with Him, we, we will worship. And all of this will seem like insignificant nothing. I want to encourage you in your trial, keep your head up. The hope of glory is Christ in you. Amen. God bless you.